And now for something completely different. Will Kent Nardoring Heinison, David Marble, Nathan Olson, Fabian Cune, and Marco Selmo please stand up? These five people have learned the first lesson of not being seen, not to stand up. However, they've chosen an obvious hiding place. <laughs> and this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue! Knock, knock. Who's there? Hugh. Hugh who? Hugh people are in for one hell of a show with the Age of Dragons things happening now. News, reviews, horses of other hues, and you might learn something if we're done. And then the Bill Cosby joke just kind of falls apart at the end. Because the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 425 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad you could join us this week. Our podcast that is released on the eve of the San Diego Comic-Con. Comic-Con. Of course, Preview Night. Again, you're listening to it. Preview Night on Wednesday night. And uh, then the show runs all through the weekend of crazy insanity. We hope you check out MajorSpoilers.com every single day. Probably, I would say you need to check the site out probably... Six to ten times an hour. Well, I was going to say 15 to 20 times yeah. in the course of a three-hour period. Right. Just because there's going to be that much stuff coming additional out. Content. Oh, yeah. Your mind will warp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll and it'll bleed all over so, the place. So clearly, if you're listening to this podcast, more or less when it came out, either you're getting this through iTunes. Yes. Hello, or, iTunes. Or you clicked on the banner, because by the time anybody gets to this, it's going to be buried. Oh, yeah. It's going to... You know, mm-hmm. I know that this show will come out Wednesday at about... 1 a.m. when mm-hmm. we're done. Right. And by the time everyone gets up in the morning, it will already be on page three. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Hopefully no knife in the eye this year. Well, you know, sad news. There oh, was already okay. a death at Comic-Con. Seriously? What? Yes. Someone was running across the street to get into a line at Hall H, I think, for the what? Twilight for the Twilight panel. Guy was struck and killed uh, by a car. Jeez. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not like some dark horror. No, this joke. is not some horrible joke where someone's oh, just dying gosh. to get into the twilight panel. No, we're not trying oh. to be that way. Um, but yeah, someone was killed. Um, wow. Twilight Finn killed at the uh, San Diego Comic Con. Sad news: fifty-three-year-old oh, woman was fatally struck by a car Tuesday in front oh, of the God. San Diego uh, Comic Convention Center. The unidentified goer had been camping in front of the convention center since Sunday to score a seat at the Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part Two panel. Uh, and was reportedly in a crosswalk at the time of the accident. So there oh you go. Struck gosh. by a 67-year-old driver. So, um, you know, well, it's terrible. Who it's was terrible. trying to get into the Superman <laughs> panel down the street? Yeah, and I know that there were a lot of Reboot. people. I, I mean, I made a, I made that bad joke just because mm-hmm. I know that it had already gone across the, the Twitter feed and a lot of people were upset about it. But, you know, when someone gets gets a pin to the eye or a pencil to the eye in that case or, or gets hit, struck down because they're a fan of something that that's really sad that that really is yeah and the, so, the uh, thing that we the thing that we sometimes forget you know in the in the interest of cheap jokes is 
this is a this is a human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you started talking, I'm like, oh my god, Stephen's gonna tell a funny joke. No, no, no. It's true. And we're all true. gonna go, ha ha. Now I'm sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a way to. I mean, this wasn't. I mean, Comic Con oh, doesn't even god. start for another 24 hours, and people are already in line trying to get into some of these Hall H panels mm-hmm. uh, to see some of these big things. And it's, you know, Hollywood coming down to uh, to San Diego. I mean, it's bi- a big part of uh, Comic-Con. And I know a lot of people are like, well, I'm tired of the Hollywoodization of the San Diego Comic-Con. But it's, it's I don't want to say it's a necessary evil, but, I mean, George Lucas went to Comic-Con right. back in the 70s to peddle Star Wars before it even came out to get people excited. So this is something that's been a continuous thing since Comic-Con's existence. Mm-hmm. And because of its close proximity to Los Angeles, it makes perfect sense for the studios to want to push their movies. Granted, I mean, uh, and people could argue that Twilight does or doesn't belong at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. But if you are an organization that needs to rent out a giant hall, and if you're an organization that brings in $168 million to, to the San Diego area, and a movie studio comes to you and said, hey, we want to try to give you $1,000 or $10,000 or whatever it is that some of these uh, people do to get their uh, their seat in Hall H... I can't, mm. I can't blame Sandy, you know, the, the CCI organizers for, you know, bringing Hollywood in or wow. getting people excited. I mean, look at how many people are excited about going to Comic-Con and 20 years ago, people were not this excited about Comic-Con. You know what? Right. In, in the end, it comes down to this, the, the, uh, an issue. And it's an issue that even here at Major Spoilers, we kind of tiptoe around, which is mm-hmm. where where do does your pop culture draw the line? Right, right? we've we're had not, that discussion. We're not reporting yeah. on Kim Kardashian. Yeah, because Kim Kardashian. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. or no. moving on. <laughs> um, sorry, I started thinking about Kim Kardashian, <laughs> but we're not reporting right. on what she's doing. It right, but you know, if right. if David Tennant goes out and does something funny, we do report on what he's doing. Right. Even though he's not even the doctor anymore, right? And the doctor isn't even a comic book thing, right? right? I mean, there are comics for the doc for mm-hmm. Doctor Who, mm-hmm. but you know, right. so where do you draw the line? And a lot of people say right in front of Twilight. <laughs> I know a lot of people do, but you know, when you think about it, vampire fantasy. There are a number of right. books that are oh, vampire absolutely. related. Vampire, you know Vampirella. What? You've got Vampirella f- fighting Fluffy, the vampire mm-hmm. killer. And that's the thing. In a Twilight crossover, isn't even half a degree of separation away no, from Buffy not. the Vampire Slayer, no. which is generally legitimately considered as part of our, you know, our shared group. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, I'm just like, mm. I, I don't necessarily understand or want to read Twilight. But then again, I'm not the target audience. I didn't necessarily want to read, you know, I don't know, the Marvel Ages or the Marvel All Ages adventure stories. I don't necessarily want to read Owly on a monthly basis, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's not good or that I want to see somebody hit by a bus. You know, I, well, no, certainly we don't want to see anybody uh, get hurt. And, you know, I'm hoping that uh, cooler heads prevail throughout the convention and that people Mm. understand that, yes, there are 100,000 people in that convention center and that we do need to get along with everybody and we need to love everybody Mm. and we need to be Mm. wonderful to everybody. And yes, you're going to bump into somebody, but that doesn't mean you have to shove them. It doesn't mean you have to punch somebody. It doesn't yeah. mean that when you see that uh, 9.0 edition of Hulk 185, that you have to, you know, just go so crazy that you eat it in front of everybody. And, and it's it, same thing when you see that 9.9 Lara Croft, you really don't have to touch her. 
Yes, right. that's right. She's, she's just she's on a, she's, she's a, another she's cosplayer. Nice girl, she's a cosplayer from like college, yes. and she you, you know, treat just, yes. the booth girls or ladies or women, however you want to. The people who are there, because I think there are men now too. The booth models, you treat them the same way you would treat a mint condition adventure 247 with tweezers and all unless it's yours <laughs> and you're oh, at home nice. you don't put your hands on it uh there's going to be so much news coming out of comic-con and it's it's sad that we have to kick off our big comic-con news with word of somebody's death uh, but I do hope that everybody does uh, get along and everybody has a wonderful time at Comic-Con. And yep. we will have plenty of uh, coverage up on the Major Spoiler site. And probably I, one of I the biggest stories... Central Kansas. Uh, probably one of the biggest stories that's going to come out of Comic-Con is... Well, certainly it is going to be one of the biggest because Marvel is spreading it all over the place. Marvel Now. Marvel Now! No! What is Marvel no. Now, do you ask? I'm not sure uh -huh. I'm not sure a lot of people know what Marvel Now is, but according to uh, Marvel editor um, uh, Joe Casada, Marvel Now is the next step in the Marvel story evolution and character evolution. It's not a reboot. It's a universe-shifting catch-all, which really just tells fans that if you've enjoyed Avengers vs. X-Men, get ready for the outcome. Because it's going to be major, major, major changes coming to the Marvel Universe. A lot of changes to the character <laughs> status quo, alter egos, costumes, creator shifts, design shifts, the way that we do our covers, digital shifts, and the way that we start delivering our books. We're continuing with our uh, evolution push as we start to embrace more and more of the digital world and its technology. The sky's the limit with Infinite Comics AR and all sorts of things. Steven Schleicher was right. <laughs> as the technology changes, we're going to change with it and our fans are going to eventually tell us what they really love out of all those things that we're playing with. But it's a big shift because it's not just story and character. There's also the way we tell our stories and the way we deliver our stories and that is starting to change as well. But it's not a reboot. It's not a reboot. And it says Axel, uh, Axel Alonso, Axel Alonso says, Axel Alonso says it's not a reboot. We don't travel back in time into the future or to an alternate universe. Marvel now respects the investment, emotional and financial, that long-term fans have made in the Marvel Universe. And this story takes place in a Marvel Universe they can recognize, one that grows out of the Avengers vs. X-Men. That said, these stories will be accessible to lapsed readers, the guy who likes, say, Captain America, but doesn't know where to start, and anyone who saw the Marvel movie or heard the buzz about Marvel now. Mm. So, Matthew, you seem rather excited about this. Yeah, and it's kind of the same feeling I had about DC's relaunch when they announced it way, mm -hmm. way, way back last summer was mm -hmm. at the very least, you know, one of the one of the most difficult things for comic fans to deal with is change. Creators change and the book is awful. Um, I always tell the story of my friend Dusty saying, well, I'm not going to read Avengers anymore because without Captain America, Iron Man and Thor, it's not Avengers. It's stupid. We have a natural tendency to buy the book month over month and go, right. This is the way it must be. And this is the way it's right. And this is, this is Avengers done right. And all Avengers are wrong. But when you do something that is, I mean, across the board, spanning the entirety of the universe, it gives a chance for new things to grow. And I think that, you know, while DC's relaunch hasn't had them crushing their competition month over month the way well, I think they wanted it to, it's definitely put them on a new footing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's made the battle for, you know, sales different. And it's made it to where I can go into the comic store and buy a DC title that is a vampire book, a monster book. You can go and buy 
a war comic. You can buy things that aren't just the adventures of Batman and, you know, whoever it is. They're trying to expand the readership. And I feel like DC did a pretty good job in expanding the readership, exciting people, pissing people off, making people say, I'm never going to read this again and then buy five copies of every issue. Right. And I'm excited to see that in the Marvel Universe because I realized a couple of weeks ago, Marvel and DC have switched places from when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Marvel was all about, we're going to do new stuff and we're going to chuck all this out the window and we're going to do this. Kind of like the DC relaunch. And DC was like, well, this summer we're going to cross over our alternate universes and have different versions of Super, I mean, Spider, I mean, Superman interacting with each other. Marvel now is, to me, kind of what DC used to be in that their continuity has become a little bit oppressive. In 1986, DC relaunched the entire everything and re, you know, rescheduled and killed Barry Allen and did all this crap. And I'm kind of hoping that that's what Marvel wants to do here. Kill Barry Allen. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've heard so much news about Marvel now, rumors really, over the last couple of months. One of the rumors was they were going to totally box up the 616 and jump over to like 614 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another story that I've heard, especially 619, 619, 619 universe, uh, yeah. especially when it concerns the uh, X-Men, is that the, you know, uh, Axel, uh, Axel Alonso X-Men? says that there will be no time traveling. But uh, one story I read had the original uncanny X-Men mm-hmm. travel mm-hmm. forward in time to the present and deal with some catastrophic change mm-hmm. uh, going on. So when you ask Matthew, is that Jean Grey in the original X-Men costume? It yeah, sure that's looks like Jean it. Grey in the original X-Men costume based on the story that I'd read about time-traveling X-Men. I mean, the, right. the official press release uh, kicks off in October, Uncanny Avengers number 1 by Rick Remender and John Cassidy. Uh, will be yes. the uh, uh, the Marvel Now kickoff book. And then we have, in November, Marvel uh, Now expands to include all-new X-Men number one by Bar- Brian Michael Bendis and Stuart Eminen, Avengers number one by Jonathan Hickman and Jerome uh, Opina, uh, and then in December, new Avengers number one by Hickman and Steve Epting uh, on sale in January. And I'm sorry, listeners, I got so busy with uh, with non-major spoiler stuff that I miss getting the new uh, Marvel solicits, but it looks like Marvel will be canceling at least nine titles mm-hmm. right. uh, in the next month or, or a couple of months uh, to <laughs> make I way for the all-new all Marvel Now. Um, Rodrigo, what are your thoughts on, on Marvel Now? I think it looks interesting, and I think it's... Uh, it's, a, it's a smart idea to just... Uh, throw like just load all of your ideas into a pellet gun and just shoot it into the sky as long as the guys at marvel are keeping track of each individual thing right yeah that's the hardest thing boogity boogity new stuff digital comics gene gray time travel the hulk is wearing armor you guys right so there's all all this stuff going on yeah yeah. it's like well the digital comics might do well but the stories might not do well so hopefully somebody's paying attention to the numbers and to how downloads are going and all that stuff and you know we don't know exact numbers because um, Comixology hasn't reported, but they've given us something close in the effect that they sold, what was it, $75 million? I'm, I'm maybe a little off on that number, but I'm pretty sure the, the number was like $75 million in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, or in the last uh, year. Uh, so you could go through and divide that by 299 or 399 and that would give you a pretty rough estimate of how many millions of comic books were sold through Comixology, that you know mixture of current and, and past. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, 
uh, I think this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't, I can't jump up and down and get mm-hmm. excited about it like I was with the new Fifty Two. And it's not because right. I hate Marvel; it's because I'm just not as invested in the Marvel universe as Matthew right. or, have, or Rodrigo may be. Mm-hmm. You don't have the basis that Rodrigo right. and I do to think, hey, this this could happen. Right, but then again, uh, part of me is, I don't know. We've seen, and I, I've said before that I really think that we should approach comic books as uh, short serialized. Things where mm-hmm. every year you have a new number one, and Marvel is—I don't—basically I become notorious for new number ones mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. You know, let's relaunch this, this Spider-Man. Let's fifth, relaunch this—the fifth Avengers number one in the last ten years. So you know, uh, you know, when you're saying, "Hey, we're going to bring you all new number ones," and we have all these great things coming out, I'm like, "Yeah, but you said that last year, and you had a whole bunch of new number ones." But on this, on the other hand, if you can shake up this universe, and you can again. This is what made the new 52 so popular is, as Tom Brevoort said, if you're a longtime fan, you've got something to come in and read. If you're a new fan, you've got something to read. If you're a digital comics person because you don't have a uh, LCS in your area, you've got a way to access that. And I guess the bottom line, whether you're DC Comics or Marvel Comics, if you can make your comics more accessible and more interesting and... um, uh, you can make people more interested in, in buying your product, then I say right. thumbs up. And certainly things like the uh, the Avengers movie and the Spider-Man movie, uh, those have people interested <laughs> in... He does live in Queens. He does. Right, Max Max and Rachel <laughs> Spider-Man. They're, they're they they do people. things to make people interested in mm-hmm. wanting these books. So if you can say, hey, you've seen the Avengers movie. Here's a new Avengers book. You know, I think that's all wonderful. And I, and I yeah. think it's great. I just hope that it's... I hope it's the right thing for the way that you guys want to see your company evolve and the stories evolve. And if these truly are stories that are spinning out of the Avengers versus X-Men and you're not resetting everything to the status quo in three months, then great. I'm excited for for yeah, that. Just just the, their big splash image. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like what I see there. I, you know, I don't care that the Hulk's wearing armor. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the black and yellow Iron Man. I think that looks good. You know, people were like, is that Daredevil or Cyclops? Well, that's Cyclops. I'm right, right. Sure. And Cy-Devil. You know, for a long, like, throughout the entire existence of Cyclops, you basically have three looks for Cyclops, mm-hmm. which are all the same look. Right. But it's basically mm-hmm. Zachary Taylor Thomas hair, yeah. scuba head, mm-hmm. or civilian clothes right. Cyclops, which mm-hmm. is right. with his cool glasses. So this is, like, the first new look that we've had for Cyclops since Age of Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which still was the same look. Right. You know, so right. do it. Just throw it, throw it, <laughs> run it off a flagpole and see who salutes. Uh, so, you know, I am excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this. I mean, like, again, anything that brings new people into, into this gets new readers involved, um, gives something for someone to read and gets them excited about comics. Wonderful. Like. And if they use the, and if they use that, uh, uh, new method of storytelling that, uh, Mark Wade pitched, and then they did in that Nova prequel for, um, whatever this Avengers versus X-Men or the return of the Phoenix or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm. I'm I'm cool with that. I really am. And so bring it. Bring it, Marvel, and let's let's show us what you got going. I like that They're, the uh, white Fantastic Four costumes have stuck around, too. Yeah. Those are cool. I will say this, and the one thing that I really love about it is that it's spelled all caps with an exclamation point, which means that it has to be pronounced Marvel now! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So when we're talking about Marvel now, I will continue to refer to it as Marvel now! 
Here's here's what I like about it. Uh, it says underneath it, it says "Join the Revolution," mm-hmm. but it's like an R that is red, and then the rest is like "Evolution," right? Mm-hmm. But an R with an apostrophe reminds me of Toys R Us. <laughs> so I really think instead of like that red R, it should be a, like a big fluffy purple R. Uh huh. Backwards. Yep, and it should yeah. be backwards on, in a little That's star. Awesome. And I always read it as. Um... Well, they do have the little tiny E, yeah, so it's not yeah. just revolution or evolution; it's re-evolution. So right. something that's constantly changing, constantly, constantly going on. And you know, I can I can buy this. I mean, I, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people up in arms. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, you're always you you can't please everybody. But then again, there, there are people, and there will always be people. And what are we now? Twelve issues in. If I post a review of a DC comic, there will be one person who comes in and goes, "I can't believe they changed everything, and it sucks now forever." It will happen, and that's a perfectly valid and you know acceptable thing to to go off on. You know, there's there's sure. nothing that says you can't hate something for hating it. Say, but. I was actually honestly kind of hoping that they were going to just box everything up, that the Phoenix Force was going to come in and destroy everything and just relaunch the whole universe again. But then again, that might be too much like Ultimate Comics. Uh, I know. It would be too much like DC. Well, true. The reason why, I I think there's another reason why they wouldn't do that. Stanley Lieber is still alive. Now, <laughs> maybe that was the plan, and they're I'm like, kidding. damn it, he's still alive. I think I'm kidding, but I think that Stan being alive yeah. kind of gives them a figurehead to where they can say, here's $10,000, Stan, well, you know, be in our movie and be as, awesome. As I was reading and the... Uh, you can say Stan is like the, 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 you know, the central, the patron saint of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm, Once Stan mm-hmm. passes, yeah. that's a different matter. As I was reading that Joe Casada quote, I almost felt like I was... Reading. Saying I was almost reading something Stanley would have written. I just wanted to throw in an Excelsior or comic fans, Marvel fans, or you know whatever. <laughs> yep. Hey, it's Marvel the, fans! Instead of hang loose heroes, yeah, yeah. Kasada says, "Bite me!" Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what comes out of the San Diego Comic Con. We'll know more this time next week for yep. sure. Uh, the Cup of Joe panel is on Friday. The Spider Man panel is on Saturday. Oh, cannot wait to see what Marvel comes up with now. Spider-Man. Uh, we With are a hyphen. <laughs> yes. We are looking for some writers, and we are looking for some coders. So if you are one of them, and you would like to be part of the Major Spoilers team, we want you to contact us. And I thought before a bunch of just S rained down upon me over the last two days that I would have gotten back to everyone who has uh, submitted so far. But I will. Um Probably not now before next Monday because of the Comic-Con, which my family already knows that Daddy is going to get up at 6 a.m. and you won't see him again until next week. So that's kind of how my week goes. Um, Remember, this is a message for all you coders out there. (laughs) Different kind of code there, Matthew. Why don't we take a break on that note? And when we come back, we will get to some reviews. Reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. 
thank you so much for everyone who has contributed to the cause. It really <laughs> helps us out quite a bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, oh, these other people laugh at those of you who have contributed, no, no. but me from the We're bottom of my house, my, my We're serious, serious delight at their very existence. Yes. Um, uh-huh, we have it's done so, so much with the people that have, with those of you that contributed, we have been able to do so much and we would like to do so much more. You can go take a look at an article I wrote this past week to celebrate the uh, major spoilers, sixth birthday, uh, titled major spoilers year six. Why is Steven so frustrated? Um, you can go find that and read where we've come from and what we want to do. And there's many, 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 many more things in the near future, uh, that we want to get to, but for now let's get to some reviews. Reviews. It's really hard to do that with an ear infection. Yes, I'm sure it is. Um, the new 52. 52? The new 52. Earth 2, new, it's 52. new 52. Earth 2, number 3. Last last month, when I think uh, Matthew reviewed Earth 2, issue number two. 2, we saw this was uh, where everyone found out that Alan Scott was uh, gay, and uh, he and his lover were going to go off and uh, get engaged and live happily ever after when suddenly a train wreck occurred. And you called it. And I did. And unfortunately, in this issue, it starts off with a very burned and scarred Alan Scott climbing through the wreckage, calling for Sam, and then a giant green flame appearing before him and healing all of his wounds and turning him into the Green Lantern. And the green energy basically says, you need something uh, to channel this green energy, so he takes Sam's engagement ring and puts that on, and that becomes the uh, Green Lantern talisman, complete with a, I don't know, somewhat parallaxy looking costume. Mm-hmm. Is that what it came off to you, Matthew, as, as looking somewhat like parallax? I didn't necessarily catch the parallax, but it's it's definitely there now that you mention it. Yeah. I think what it comes down to is anything vaguely armory and green. Mm-hmm. You're that, kind that's of probably in that, it. yeah. You're in that. You're in that parallax turf, and and so as it came to be, Sam did die, and uh, they Alan's, refrigerated him. Yeah, they did. Yeah, Alan Scott does says, "All for you, Sam. All that I do in your honor, I swear." Which is nice. I mean, that's that's a nice tribute, yeah. but it's too bad that they have to introduce a character just to kill them off. Um, well, I'm wondering if they're not hanging a lantern on Kyle Rayner. Uh-huh. I see what you did there. Yeah. Um. Intercut with this uh, story of Green Lantern getting his powers, we get to uh, check out with uh, the Flash, and he's trying to control his powers, and he meets up with Earth 2 Hawk Girl, and they do the uh, fighty-fighty things like new heroes must do with one another uh, as she tries to test his metal. And um, then the other story that we have intercut with is this thing of uh, some energy is draining life away from everything. And this is something that Rob had pointed out a few months ago in one of the podcasts, and that uh, DC had pointed out that this battle between the green and the gray that I guess kicked off an Animal Man and that we've seen in Swamp Thing continues into Earth 2, where we have this green energy and gray energy, and probably later on, what's the other energy? Black, the red 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 energy. energy. The the red and the rot. Yes. Uh, And so we see the rot just all over the place in this book until eventually the rot arrives to uh, Washington, D.C., attacks the White House, and who emerges but Green Lantern, Alan Scott's greatest foe, Solomon Grundy. Is it Monday? Uh, I am Man of Grey. I am Grundy. 
It does not say whether it's Monday or not. It should be Monday. It should be. But these comics come out on a Wednesday, so um, I don't know yeah, if that's Solomon the case. Yeah, but Solomon Grinsdy, born on a Wednesday. <laughs> so, um... Solomon Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> triple hat on Thursday. Or, uh, not a triple hat. Is that what, what? it is? <laughs> What's the uh, the three uh, goals in a row? Hat trick, that's it. The Vancouver um, Canucks 2004 Championships, eh? The art is pretty, but... I wish the story and the dialogue was good. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought the dialogue at places was just wrenching to get through. The conversation between Alan Scott and the Green Energy is just terrible. Mm. I don't like it. Um, uh, it, it I, I don't. I don't know what else to say, Matthew. I'm sure you've read this, yeah, but it's I, just like. I don't know. I just, I hated it. I really hated the dialogue between Alan Scott and the Green Energy. You have to understand, when it comes to James Robinson, we I, I make the joke about how there's James Robinson who wrote Starman and right. James Robinson who wrote Cry for Justice. Right. But even the best thing that someone wrote, you're going to have those moments. And I think that the stiltedness of the dialogue that worked for a character, say, like The Shade, really mm-hmm. well, doesn't come across the same way here in the discussion between Green Lantern right. and you know the Living Flame. It's just it's very stiff. It's that's yeah. just how it feels, and I think that's what put me off is that it's, um, it, it just it just comes across as very stiff. There's uh, some awkwardness. There. Alan Scott says, "Wait, I remember. I saw green light within that explosion. My God, was it you who caused the crash? That was the work of another. No, what you saw was my reaching into the blast, my saving you." No, if you're real, you can do amazing things. Then help me. Find Sam, please. I'm afraid your lover did not survive, Alan. Sam, no. my task was only to protect you for the role you're destined to play. And it just, I don't know. Here's a red sweater. Like Hayden Christensen in episode two. <laughs> Arga garga. So I was, I mean, I think James Robinson has done some wonderful work. but And I thought that the first issue, and I didn't read issue two of Earth 2, I uh, just never got around to it, but I really loved the first issue of Earth 2. Um, I went into this with some expectations that we were going to see Sam dead and everything like that. So I'm not I'm not upset about the plot. I'm not ups- upset about the Solomon Grundy reveal. I'm not upset about the tropey uh, Hawkgirl Flash meeting. Not upset about any of that stuff, but the dialogue just felt so stiff in places that I just... I can only give this two and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. I wanted it to be more. It wasn't more. And I'm hoping that issue four is better. I hope Robinson uh, surprises me next go around. The interesting Mm. thing in this is that by the time we hit issue five, three, four, and five, three issues, the whole thing with uh, Solomon Grundy will be over. So, you know, take it for what that's worth. Um, So, you know, I'm still interested in reading what's going on. This one just was not a strong outing for me. So there you go. Matthew, did you have a different... I mean, would you have given it a higher slices of meatloaf? Mm, uh, what'd you give it? Two and a half. I might go three. I would probably go three based on the fact that Nicola Scott's art mm-hmm. is my new girlfriend and we're going <laughs> to be married. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you two go get married. I'm sure in Utah they allow those kinds of things. He wants to marry his comic <laughs> book art. Go right yes, ahead. Utah is known for its <laughs> permissiveness. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, <laughs> let's let's flip over from DC. Well, you're already married. Uh, let's flip over from DC and let's take a look at Marvel. All right. And not the Marvel 616 universe, but let's take a look at the Ultimate Universe. Ultimate Universe. Obviously, Steven is reviewing it because none of the rest of us wait. <laughs> you know, Steven it's, did it's his funny. review. Dogs and cats living I know. together. I used, to, I used to read Ultimate Comics like loving Ultimate Comics. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what it was. I think, oh, I know what it was. Ultimatum. Ultimatum and then I have oh. lost all interest in the Ultimate Universe. Ever since the Ultimato. Yep. Here's the thing about me. My name is Matthew. Hi. I'm, I'm the cute one. Steven's the smart one. Rodrigo's the charming one. I'm the pretty one. And what I do, and now I do it more than usual, is I go to a comic shop. And my job is to take the old books off the shelves, pack them up, slap them in a bag, put a price on them, put them out, or sell them on the eBay. So every couple of weeks, I step into my office, and there on my desk is a stack of comics between mm, 6 and 20 inches high. And every once in a while... I will read these comics, and it just so happened that we were rearranging our marble shelf, and there were three issues of Ultimate Comics colon all-new Spider-Man with Miles Morales. I mm-hmm. think it was issue 789 or 8910, I don't know. And I was looking at these, and I'm like, these covers are really, really brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Carrie Andrews, I believe, is the name of the artist, but they were really, really good. And I'm like, is that the Prowler? Mm-hmm. And I dig me some Prowler. John Romita's Prowler is one of the minor Marvel characters that I love to death. But I read these issues, and they were really, really good. And it was Brian Bendis mm-hmm. writing Spider-Man, which is like saying, I went to the McDonald's, and you know they gave me something green and slimy, but it was really good, and I enjoyed it. So I picked up. Ultimate Comics number 12. And the basic gist of it is Miles Morales is the new Spider-Man. Right. Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe died. Mm-hmm. And he is taking over. The problem that we run into is that Miles' father and his uncle were criminals. Right. And in the in the uh, wake of the Ultimatum, his uncle became the new Prowler. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found brilliant is, as in the Marvel Universe, many of Spider-Man's villains, the Vulture, the Shocker, Stiltman, all of these schmucks got their their gimmicks from the Terrible Tinkerer. Uncle Uncle Aaron, mm-hmm. Aaron, because, hey, it's Morales, it makes sense. Uncle Aaron discovered all of these things that the Tinker had created. And so the ultimate Prowler has the gimmicks of maybe a dozen of what the regular 616 universe spider characters would be. He has the vulture's wings. He has the prowler's claws. And in this issue, he has the shocker's gauntlets. And he has been trying to basically blackmail his nephew into working with him as a criminal. Miles is trying to be a good guy, but Uncle Uncle Aaron is going to kick his butt. He's threatening to turn him in. He's threatening to you know physically abuse him. At one point in, I think, issue nine, he managed to get uh, Miles nearly killed by the ultimate scorpion. And it's really fascinating, really good stuff. It's it's Bendis doing Bendis well. And the arguments between this 13-year-old kid and his estranged uncle really ring true. And we get to a point where the Prowler is like, all right, kid, are you with me? Or are you against me? And Spider-Man's like, you don't come near me, you don't come near my parents, you don't threaten me, and you leave town. At which point, Fighty Fighty is on. But it's really, really well done, Fighty Fighty. It's drawn well. I was really impressed. And even though, you know, all of the board balloons have 
mixed case in them, which is one of the things about the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. that drives me up the wall. I didn't realize it until Ultimate, until Spider-Man number three, when Mysterio crossed over mm-hmm. and his word balloons changed case. Mm-hmm. And I'm <laughs> nice. like, that's why the Ultimate Universe makes me crazy. <laughs> that's why. And now that I know it, now that I, it's like, it's like when you have a, a, a hole in your tooth and you can't quite stop running your tongue across it. And even though it hurts, you can't quite stop futzing with it with your tongue. That's what that mixed case lettering is. But all in all, Ultimate Spider-Man colon spider colon ultimate all new colon man number 12. I'm going to go with four slices of meatloaf. Very well done with a great ending. Man, a really this? unexpected ending. What is this world coming to? Stephen poo pooing on a DC comic. Matthew marveling at an ultimate comic. <laughs> an ultimate comic. And an, an ultimate, ultimate comic. An ultimate Spider Man written by Bendis. I know. The next thing you know, Rodrigo is going to be, you know, covering some web comic or something. I mean, it's. Crazy. Oh, God, don't tell me. Rodrigo, what are you reviewing this week? I'm uh, reviewing Dresden Codec, the. Uh latest uh, arc just closed and you can find that at dresdencodec.com it is a web comic I woke up in opposite world why 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 so uh, Dresden Codec is a is a comic that is usually about uh, this super scientist girl and the adventures that she's having, although sometimes it is a, a, about a couple of Victorian reprobates who live on the moon, mm. you know, here and there. Okay. So uh, this latest arc, Dark Science, is all about her sort of coming to terms with her father and sort of finding her place in her father's uh, master plan. His, her father is the most renowned scientist in the world, uh, basically. Uh, you know, art-wise, it's it's an amazing comic. Uh, Looks pretty. It it's really pretty. Um, if you go back to the very beginning of the archives, you can see uh, Aaron Diaz, the the guy who draws it and writes it. His style has. You sure just, it's not Erron? I'm pretty sure it's not Erron. You hate um, it when I do that, don't you? Um, I don't hate it. He just hates you. I mean, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's, you can't. You. It's like you know when a kid's uh, riding on a bike and he falls over. You don't hate the kid for doing it. <laughs> you may giggle and put him back on the bike and shove him down the hill to watch him do it again, but you don't hate him for it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, after a son. while, it becomes kind of funny, right? So uh, yeah, you can see his style just uh, improve exponentially. And and change. I mean, it's not just an improvement. It's also kind of the all the decisions that he's making about the characters. It is it is it is a really pretty comic to look at. So I've got a question about this series. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm looking at the archives, I see uh, Dark Science number nineteen, the Department of Quantification, mm-hmm. and then I go back to Dark Science number one, the Collected Works of Shakespeare, the movie. Mm-hmm done two years ago yes are there only over the last two years only like a one page over the in 2012 i think he has updated all of one nine or ten times five six times six times well there you go so there's only been six pages that have come out only been six pages in the past year 
he updates oh. extremely rarely. And that is my number one complaint about Dresden Kodak. It's it's a brilliant comic. Dresden Kodak is a comic that is not just smarter than you. It's a comic that makes you feel good about reading a comic that is smarter than you. It's a comic that it's intelligent about making fun of intelligent things. But it seems like you could get through but this whole thing in out. like... But I'm saying it seems like you could get through this in like five minutes. Uh, certainly this... I mean, Dark Science Volume 1 is about the size of an actual comic, if that. Well, like, I was going to say Hob. Issue. Hob only goes 27 installments right and some of these some of these some of these are double double pages okay um but not all of them and yes there's a lot of filler stuff there's a lot of guest strips um you know part of the part of the reason why i read this comic is because it does that thing that web comics should do which is that every page is a thing it's either a done in one punchline or it advances the story drastically Mm mm-hmm as opposed to literally being one page of a comic where you would be reading the comic and then you would just flip the page except it comes out once a month. I hate it when wet comics do that. Right. Because that's the wrong format for them as mm-hmm. in, in my brain. Uh, but Dresden Kodak does a good job of continuing or of only uh, having as much story as necessary and cramming in as much story as possible into a single page. So, you know... It sets us up for the next volume, which is going to be the Dark Scientific Method. Um, and uh, sets up the protagonist, gives us a little bit of, you know, maybe the previous arc didn't actually happen kind of stuff, which I'm a little bit annoyed at. But I wonder if it's not because he has a place where he wants to go with this and the previous installments of the comic are kind of... Uh, in the way because it there are times when it is in fact super wacky mm-hmm. and there has to be a reason why some characters aren't coming back when they were like really prevalent in the past so i hope he's not retconning his own comic it would be kind of sad if he was but you know he's kind of an auteur as far as this goes so i'll give it to him um do you have to um subscribe to something to know when this next uh in next page comes out um i think you probably can okay I hmm. don't. I mean, I let's see. Um yeah, I've like I found out today that the first installment of the second volume had come out. Oh, okay. Like the the very first page, page of one. the of the of volume 2 of Dark Science. Yeah. Um and I don't know how I mean, I didn't even check how long it's been out. I was just like, "Oh, Dark Science volume 1 wrapped up. I'll review it for the show." Because okay. I've been meaning to, you know, I've sure, been waiting sure, sure. for like six months yeah, yeah. for this to be over so I could talk about it on the show, basically. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know if there's, there probably is some sort of RSS feed. Let's see, Home Archive, Cast Gallery, eh, maybe not. Uh, I just think it would be... No, there is. There's That's what that little orange yeah, button yeah. is, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you can get an RSS feed that'll, you know, you can have your Dresden, you can have your infrequently updated comics... RS, RS feed and uh, put that aside from your too frequently updated comics <laughs> like your dinosaur comics yeah, type yeah, yeah. situation um, so that it doesn't get buried. So yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful comic that 
Um, you know, and, and I've read, obviously, because I go to Dresden Kodak, nothing's happening. So I actually go to his blog and I read out about what he's doing. And, you know, a lot of the time people just ask him, like, why doesn't this update more frequently? And he says, because I'm working on it, because I want it to look a particular way and I want it to be great to look at and I want it to look exactly so. And so it takes me forever to actually, because he draws it, writes it, colors it, mm-hmm. does everything for it, right? So he's doing the job of four people, four to five people, letters it, of mm-hmm. course. Um, all by himself. So that's right. presumably why it takes forever. Plus, you know, he's self-employed. So, you know, all the complications of not having an HR department or, you know, somebody to take out the trash for you and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But right. but that's the reason why I only check back on Dresden Kodak maybe once every six months because it doesn't update frequently. Yeah, I'm afraid I would completely forget about it. Well, and I have. I mean, yeah. there there are things where I'm like, I'm doing something, and I'm like, somewhere along the way, there will be something about a cyborg, and I'm like, oh, that's a funny joke. Where have I heard funny jokes about cyborgs? Oh, yeah. oh I should check back on Dresden Kodak. It's been since Christmas. Wow. Oh, look, two pages have come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Mm. You know, and and you know, it, it's it's a real it's a real tension for me because that is one thing that is one of the reasons why I drop web comics altogether mm-hmm. is because they don't update frequently enough sometimes because they update too frequently and i hate you know when i'm like oh i haven't read this in a month crap i have to read 300 strips to catch up right i'm not right. doing that either right so there's there's a sweet spot there for me but dresden codec is actually so good that i keep coming back i mean it is it's honestly the smartest thing i'm you know ingesting right now yeah yeah cool um and and I kind of need that uh, at least in 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 small quantities. I I need something that is like so drastically smarter than me that I have to go and I have to go on Wikipedia and figure out what the hell is this guy talking yeah, about yeah. and by the process learn something new and then go back and being like, oh my god, this joke is actually hilarious yeah, if yeah, you yeah. understand what he's saying. Yeah. Now, are you a fan of the XKCD? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. But I only check it <laughs> sporadically. Okay. Yeah, he only checks it when it's linked to a particular trope that he's reading about <laughs> at that point in time. And he's like, oh, that is funny. Uh, it, you know, I got I got some diehard fans of XKCD on my Facebook that are, that are friends with me on Facebook. So that's that's how I absorb XKCD is somebody is like, oh, man. So I get a lot of, like, coding jokes and a lot of, uh, like, customer service jokes because that's what a lot of my peers are in right okay. now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just curious because you said one that you actually had to go up and look yep, a bunch of actually, stuff up. Yeah, you have to look it up. So, you know, uh, Aaron Diaz is a, a a self-professed transhumanist. I mean, he he is way into, you know, that whole humanity reaching its full p- potential through augmentation and, right, and, and right. all that stuff. You know, the main character is a cyborg. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's real interesting to see his views on that and to actually get a story along with it because he's not just sitting there saying science is the greatest, science is always right. There's there's a hilarious strip where the character is trying to get a job and um, she goes in and they literally do not acknowledge that she's there because there isn't enough proof. There's not enough empirical data that proves that she is there applying for a job. Oh, interesting. And so they turn her down, right? I mean, he's making yeah, yeah, fun yeah. of science not doing what's in front of their eyes right, because right, it's right. not empirical and, right, you know, right, the census right. can be full and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and on the other hand, it's showing you all these great things that science can do. It's 
it's an awesome science comic is basically what it is. All right, cool. So uh, how many slices the old meatloaf you give uh, it? You know, it's so difficult because I want to knock it down a lot for not updating more often, but I also recognize that the reason why I wanted to update more often is because I really like it. So I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf. All right. Um, and if he can ever get it to where he can find a bassist and a drummer that he thinks sound like him mm-hmm. and starts updating you know, frequently enough, then that will definitely get bumped up to five. Excellent. Nice. All right, listeners, there you go. Three reviews, plenty of other reviews over at the Majorspoilers.com website. We do encourage you to go over there on a regular, ongoing basis. It's the- time! What is this? It is. Time for what? (laughs) I was going to go on about Amazon and how wonderful (laughs) Amazon was. And I know everybody's over there buying things from Amazon.com. If you want to help us out, all you have to do is go over to Majorspoilers.com, click on the Amazon.com icon, buy your stuff like you normally do, buy your large screen TVs, buy your your automobiles, buy your uh, computer (laughs) systems. Yeah, all of that stuff. Computer boxes. Yeah, your big computer boxes that you put computers into and and they box them away. Communication devices. Yeah, just head over to Amazon.com, buy your stuff uh, as usual through the Majorspoilers.com link. It would help us out tremendously, and we thank you for that. And now that we're done with that little plug, it's it's time. time. Yes, it is time for. It's time. There we go. Well, the Majorspoilers. (laughs) I should really have the video up so I can get my cues faster. <laughs> Ball of the week, 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 week. There you go. That's a blast. From Blo- the past. Yes, it is. Boing. Uh, this week, major spoiler. Right, Jason wrote in wondering about creators with original ideas, and there are none. Well, yeah. he he does think that there are two people with uh, uh, some original ideas, and he says, whose resume of creations would you rather have? Would you rather be? A Philip K. Dick, who has written such wonderful pieces as Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, Paycheck, Adjustment Bureau. Uh, what was the other one we were just a talking scanner about? Darkly. A Scanner Darkly. Or would you rather have uh, Joss Whedon's credentials, where you've created Buffy and Angel and Dollhouse and Firefly, and you wrote uh, Aliens 4, I think, right? Yeah. And also uh, helped write uh, Toy Story. Directed uh, uh, several episodes of Roseanne back in the 80s. Yeah, so whose uh, who's credentials would you rather have Rodrigo go? Well, now that you throw Roseanne <laughs> into the mix. Um, well, let's be uh, let's be honest. Philip K. Dick didn't hit every one of them out of the ballpark. Uh, no, he, he really didn't. You know, um, I think, it, it, you know, the question is sort of like which, who's, who's like, when I quantum leap into the past, who yeah. would I rather be, I yeah, guess? Yeah, yeah. Is um, so I guess I would rather be the um super cool sci-fi book writer than necessarily the guy who redefined how teenagers talk forever. <laughs> uh, so I would probably go with with Philip K. Dick. There's just something about uh, Philip K. Dick's work that is both dark and timeless. You know, uh, you know, if you look at Blade Runner, yeah. It's it's the future of twenty years ago, right? But there's yeah. still a a, a uh, and granted, this is a movie based on his right, on his right. work. But you know, the, there's there's that paranoia has never fully gone away. Right. You know, it He's always a lot hits paranoia you. just the, seeps through, and, his and that's books. what it is. It's these dark themes and, and and kind of 
normal people suddenly coming into contact with this this like really other deep otherness mm-hmm. that is usually generated by people. I mean, right, these aren't right. aliens usually. It's stuff right. that other people yeah, have Yeah, I made. mean, Adjustment Bureau, it's about God. Yep, and, you know, it's like how deep does the rabbit hole go kind right. of stuff. And, right. yeah, I mean, it's 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 real interesting. You know, Joss Whedon, um, certainly not to not to put down his body of work, but, you know, he's never been my, my favorite creator. Um, I wasn't crazy about anything past season two of Buffy. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I Really, for me, I would rather be Philip K. Dick. And uh, I think his beard looks better. <laughs> Versus, I can't go against Joss. I went back and forth, but I feel stronger for Joss. This was a tough one. What tipped me is how Joss uh, went after multiple areas. Buffy has toys, cosplay, TV shows, comics, novels, and a movie. Firefly is the same way. Philip K. Dick works can't be done in that way. You can't make a one-shot comic, a movie, maybe some toys. Uh, when you see someone in a brown coat at Dragon Con or something like it, you go Firefly. You don't see someone with a shaved head and go, that creepy precog kid uh, that was in that movie with Tom Cruise. What? Yeah, yeah. So if you see someone uh, with a wait, shaved wait, wait, head. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Let me, let me ask you this. So what you're saying is because Fibber McGee and Molly doesn't have a webcomic. Never mind. Skip it. We're good. Well, that's, that's verse. What did you vote, Take Matthew? Calls. Well, and it was difficult for me because I, I like to think, for me, Joss Whedon boils down to the 2000 Fox Features film X-Men. Hmm. Joss Whedon was a script doctor on that film, and he was responsible for two lines of dialogue, uh, apocryphally speaking. And those two di- lines of dialogue were the line that everybody quoted after seeing that movie, which is, it's really me, prove it, you're a dick. But he also wrote, do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Which is one of the single worst things ever said anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in, that includes pornography. So for me, that balance, that, that inconsistency, and the fact that his, you know, a lot of his works seem to be... I, I, I guess what I'm looking at is, for me, Philip K. Dick, well, first of all, is dead... But there was an arc through his work that was very much adult. And there's a very, you know, there's a very interesting intellectual through line, old school science fiction through line for me that Joss Whedon is still building up to. So I chose Philip K. Dick mostly because the same thing that happens to everything else. Jimmy says, well, for me, it really comes down to the question of whether I would want more people to know my name or if I would want what I consider to be a stronger library of work. I feel that Joss Whedon is more well-known than Philip K. Dick, given that he was directly involved with a number of television shows and, of course, that little thing known as the Avengers. While his work has been really impressive, and he certainly should be proud of it, I am the opinion that Dick's work in science fiction is more influential and overall better than what Whedon has done, though Whedon has enjoyed more success. In the end, however, Whedon gets a paycheck from the Avengers and probably the ability to go on to do whatever superhero he wants to do next. So I personally would rather be Joss Whedon, says Jimmy. Um... Oh, for Jimmy. me, for me, it was, and I don't know, you know, when, when, um, Jason sent this in, he, you know, he, he put in some of the credentials and for Blade Runner, he, or for Philip <laughs> K. Dick, he put in, uh, I Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, Paycheck and Adjustment Bureau. Well, all movies, right? I mean, uh, well-known movies. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think what people fail to realize a lot of the times is that, 
the movies based on Philip K. Dick's work, mm-hmm. not no, even not close not to the source Philip material. I mean, material, yeah. Blade Runner, totally different mm-hmm. than, and I, I know, you know, uh, Boom Studios, uh, a couple yeah. of years ago, did a word for word transcription of uh, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. uh, or Android. uh, do Androids Dream, Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, you know, and that's the other thing too. Uh, the, the Jason gave us all the movies. I mean, Blade Runner, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Total Recall, we can remember it for you wholesale, uh, and so on and so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, Philip K. Dick has really amassed a volume of work that is really incredible, uh, that is fantastic, that is wonderful. But as written, does not translate to the screen. Right. And even the screen translations uh, are often marred with problems. I mean, today people look at Blade Runner, Runner and go, this is wonderful. But if you've ever read the, the book on the making of Blade Runner and you remember the initial reception to the movie, mm-hmm. horrible. And the movie went through so many terrible things. And Rodrigo, if you want to read a good book, if uh, I will give you the book on uh, the making of Blade Runner mm-hmm. that gives you a true behind the scenes look of how a movie is crafted and the S storm that they went through oh, sure. to get that movie done. Totally great. Uh, Whedon, on the other hand, he writes for the medium. Mm-hmm. He writes the movie. He writes right. the TV show. So when you're comparing a Blade Runner to a, uh, a Buffy season four, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you could compare them visually in tone and you can tell them based on story and all this stuff. You know, here you've got somebody that thinks that he's a uh, is chasing robots and here's a person who is a robot who thinks that she's a person. You could compare them that way, sure. But I think when it boils down to it, Philip K. Dick does have the better body of work because it's lasted so long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so many mm-hmm. people are aware of it and they have gone out of their way to try to translate his stories into other mm-hmm. mediums, comic books, in- visually, etc. Whedon, while he's great and does some great character arcs, he's writing for that medium. Right. And that's not yeah. what Dick intended. And and hasn't been around as long. Right. Simple, right. As and simple it, as in that. a way, this is like saying who's funnier, Lou Costello or Patton Oswalt. Right. Very similar kind of over a very similar kind of sense of humor in a mm-hmm. way. But so different and so difficult to to compare that yeah, yeah. you're not quite apples and oranges, but you're definitely in like tangelos and, yeah. and pl- plum cots. So for me, just based on if I wanted credentials based on impact, um, credentials based on um, respect and longevity, uh, I went with Philip K. Dick. I mean, I I think the guy is brilliant. Too bad his robot head is still missing, but. Um, just uh, wonderful. And if I could generate a volume of content one-tenth the size of his, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute, Major Spoilers is closing on to 20,000 posts. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know that is, that's something. And now, granted, Joss Whedon has done a tremendous amount of work. I'm not mm-hmm. putting the guy down, but if I had to choose between the two, <laughs> I go with Dick. Yes. <laughs> Give me Dick any day. <laughs> Steven is a very large <laughs> fan of Dick, and it's important to know. 292 spoilerites have voted at this point, and, you know, many of them, I'm sure, are heavily into Dick. But <laughs> this one is close, and this one it has is really been is close. close all day. I've been watching this one, and I'm like, this is fascinating. Yeah, it is. Right now, 49%. Philip K. Dick, 51% Joss Whedon, which is amazing. I expected Joss Whedon to walk away from this due to the immediacy of this work and basically the Avengers, which, you know, that's that to me is pretty impressive. The fact that there's this kind of weight left for, uh, well, what's the la- when was the last Philip K. Dick book? 
Oh, the last book. Um, yeah. boy, I want to say late seventies, early eighties. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look. Um, I, yeah, I, I want to say that it's late seventies. Um, but you know, Whedon just did something last week. Did so, he? What did he do? I don't know. Uh, Avengers two, Electric Boogaloo. That's what it was. Fast track. They they saved the rec center. Yes, exactly. Um, so Dick died in eighty. 82 and i'm looking to see what his last book was scanner darkly won an award in 79 so that may have been his uh, late 70s early 80s work yep there you go so there you go yeah it was it was a, it's a tough it's a very close race uh let's see 82 transmigration of timothy archer nice so Transmigration. Yeah. So listeners weigh in. And I think uh, one of our spoilerites even kind of did kind of the same thing that I was doing in, in justifying it. In um, uh, Arbor Day said it's not exactly the same. One is literary and the other is visual. So it comes more down to preference in the medium. Would you rather have created yeah. something that exists as words or pictures? And uh, I think I'd rather create something that exists as words myself. That's just mm. me. For All right, me, listeners. I, I oh, want go ahead. the words and the pictures to work together forever. Yep. Twenty years from now, I want some fat guy to be reviewing my stuff and calling it retro reviews and having people yell at him and going, "Why are you covering this old crap?" Exactly. That's what I want to have. So we're going to take a quick break, and Cat uh, Halo is back to talk about some movie, and I forget which one he's doing this week. And I would include some voicemails, but as you may have noticed, we've had a change in our technology the last couple of weeks, and I've just had a devil of a time getting our Skype stuff uh, off onto the right place. So please continue to call in, and we will listen to those and play those back real soon. Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. It's Cat Halo back again. Before I get started, I just want to say happy anniversary, major spoilers. Thank you for the site, the forum, and the podcast. Each are very important parts of every week. Now, time for thoughts on my movie. Um, I went to see Amazing Spider-Man last week, and to quote a great thinker of the modern age, I liked it. This is a teen movie about the burgeoning romance between two kids. It just so happens that one of these kids becomes Spider-Man. Mark Webb, who directed 500 Days of Summer, handles the awkward teen stuff incredibly well. Garfield is perfect as both Parker and Spidey, and Emma Stone is more adorable than a box of kittens. And their chemistry is just engrossing. And then there's Spidey himself. Uh, the suit looks great. The action is fun. The hand-to-hand stuff is particularly inventive, and the aerial stuff is just cool. The main downfall of the movie is that I just don't particularly care for the lizard. Um, the design has him look like one of the Goombas from the Mario movie, and his you know plan is a little lame, to be honest. So, as I said before, I liked this movie. Um, possibly not quite what people were expecting, as it's a very different take to Raimi's movie, but it's a good take nonetheless, focusing on Parker the Teenager. It may not be quite the amazing Spider-Man, but it's certainly the pretty darn good Spider-Man. And that's it. From now on, it's all about Dark Knight Rises, baby. I'm making my way through all the Bat movies from Burton's 1989 movie on. And while I am on holiday next week in Spain, it's a tough life. We actually changed the dates of the trip to be home in time for Batman's opening day. Um, I will have my thoughts on all the Batman flicks on my Facebook page throughout the week leading up to the Dark Knight's release. Um... 
as well leave it at that thank you again for your time thank you again for a number of years of awesomeness major spoilers and if you're interested you can follow you know cat halo on the twitter you can follow cat halo movies on the facebook and uh, i'm all over major spoilers forums thanks guys take care I do want to thank everyone who has called into the Major Spoilers Hotline. Please continue to do so. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1949. No. No. 1939. I think. Yes. The Major Spoilers Hotline. I haven't done that in so long. I know. And, 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 and we will. And, and we, will get, we will get those calls, even if they seem a little dated. We will get those calls in uh, real soon. Yeah, because our jokes are dated, too. Yeah, I know. Um, so uh, if you are looking for a way to hear that little sound and hear it so clearly, uh, you might want to check out Tweaked Audio. TweakedAudio.com uh, has uh, some great headphones. they got four different styles, a variety of different colors. You can get them with microphones built in. We know that a number of you have been buying them uh, through the link on the Majorspoilers.com website. Or you could just go to TweakedAudio.com, T-W-E-A-K-E-D, Audio.com. And when you're checking out, use the code MAJOR and get one-third off your order. That's TweakedAudio.com. We thank them for sponsoring the show. All right, this week we are talking about Dragon Age, The Silent Grove, Volume 1. Um, I, I got to be honest, mm. I am uh, somewhat confused about Dragon Age. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a game, I understand it's a video game. Yes. But it's been spun off in a number of, of different times and ways. Uh, you know, I guess my introduction and, and listeners you know we're coming into this as comic book readers not all hardcore gamers like some of you may be right. uh but i came into this as uh seeing felicia day's uh dragon age redemption movie right. that came out a while ago so Is i was kind of will wheaton no i don't think he's in that one uh but no, that's i can't the guild yeah that's the guild but i came into oh. this expecting something along that lines and it's not quite what this book is not that it, it's something totally different and according to uh the publisher it's a perfect introduction to bioware's dark fantasy universe in this canonical mm. story uh we are the lead uh um the Character. lead writer david G gator introduces us to king alistair accompanied by his rogues uh, right. and they embark on a quest inside well, the borders of antiva a nation of assassins fighter. She's the rogue, and since this is an original D&D campaign, dwarf is still a class. Mm -hmm. So the third guy is the dwarf, and then later on they're going to pick up their wizard, well, as always happens. To a, for a little bit. Uh, they encounter a prison break, dragons, and a mysterious witch of the wilds. And one of the Aww. greatest secrets in the history of the world! <laughs> Sadly, it's not where, uh, where they buried Hoffa. So. <laughs> or Hawk. Yeah, exactly. I'll I'll say that one thing, having read the whole book before you guys told me that it's based on a video game, hearing after the fact that it's based on a video game really clears up a couple of the storytelling um, peccadillos, I guess I should say. Okay. Uh, in this particular volume, in that, you know, obviously we're walking into, this is volume two, so we're walking into something that's been established in that comic book continuity. No, this is volume one. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like you said, this is volume two. No, 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 volume one. So this is the first comic book appearance of these characters. Well, it's a perfect introduction to Bioware's Dark Fantasy universe. Okay. 
So anyway, I read through this whole book, and when you said this is based on a a, a role playing video game, I went oh, because I kept thinking that the character designs specifically um, the the pirate queen Isabella. Isadora, yeah, mm-hmm. looks very, very bidgy gamey. In fact, she looks an awful lot like somebody that I could put together on my PS3 in SmackDown versus Raw. Mm-hmm. You know, with her really, really cool leather corset that we'll get to later. And as I was reading through this, it felt like a quest. Um, when I was, gosh, when I was first married, probably almost twenty years ago now, my wife went out and bought uh, Wizardry. For uh, oh, yeah, our, game. Uh, our computer, yeah. And we used to play Wizardry, and I would play Wizardry incessantly. And when it migrated over to, um, it may have been the Super Nintendo console, I don't know. But when it migrated over to the console game, I was like, oh, I'm going to play this. Oh, it was awesome on the console game. And I remember being very, very sad when my character died once and couldn't be resurrected. And I was, you know, I was absolutely stunned and heartbroken mm-hmm. that my level 137 fighter named Dev M was dead. And I cried. But that's how this particular book kind of felt. And in retrospect, it makes sense. And I think it kind of helps the story for me that. I'm not sure why it would. But maybe I think it's that there's kind of a, an open-ended feel to the story. A, things are happening on some place and here's your quest. And some people are useful and some people are not. And... We are on this line of the quest, and then the the guy says, "You know, hey, go see the go see the blacksmith there in Diablo Town." Yeah, I mean, to me, as I read this, I was like, "Well, this is very much your high fantasy adventure," mm-hmm. and oh, by the way, it's based on a video game. So yeah, it's kind of got those those elements in there. But it just read as, to be honest, and this is not a dig on Dragon Age or this book, really. But mm-hmm. you could have taken Dragon Age off the front and mm-hmm. put IDW's Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. on there, yeah. or you could have put, um, so, you know, Marvel's Dungeons and Dragons on there, or you know, any other fantasy. And yeah. I would not have known it was a video game, but it it follows all of those tropes that you mm-hmm. expect in yeah. a Dungeons and Dragons game. And I'm not saying that that's bad. But that also, uh, I mean, it it made it very accessible to get into the world. But at the same time, because we don't know everything about this world and because this comic book came out after the video game was out, I'm sure Mm -hmm. those people who are more interested in this already are aware of the world and maybe some of the characters, uh, this King Alistair, um, um, you know, and and the uh, um, other characters that we're introduced to. Um, but I, I mean, I had some problems saying, okay, now who are these people and what are exactly are they going after? Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as the quest goes and the interactions go and the, I mean, it's all very much, very much by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's I, I kind of liken it to Nico Bellic. Nico Bellic in Liberty City and Grand Theft Auto 4 is very much a blank canvas so that you, the player, mm-hmm. can take him through these adventures and you can kind of, you know, put your spin or your expectation on it. And there are times when Nico Bellic says or does things in the course of the game where I go, oh, well, I didn't want him to necessarily do that. And that's kind of the way this story felt for me. It felt like, you know, these three, well, technically three and a half characters are are in the midst of the story and the story is kind of going on and there's some 
there's some character interaction. I wasn't particularly thrilled with the dialogue. I didn't feel like any of our three characters had a really strong individual voice. Right. You know, Isabella particularly struck me as kind of uh, the the chick. The voice of, you know, the chick as translated through the kind of the Captain Jack Sparrow thing. Again, not necessarily bad. I don't even want to say that it was it was, you know, an unpleasant reading experience. It just kind of felt like if if you were buying this story, this story feels like it came in the the yellow value save can to mm -hmm. some degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 okay. It's good fantasy, it's well drawn, but it's kind of like generic yeah. sword and sorcery fantasy. Yeah. And it you know, it, it gets you all the nutrition of the corn in the in the in the special can, but you, there's just kind of a an aftertaste to it where you're just like, maybe okay, that was that was okay. Rodrigo, you're a big fan of the uh, sword and sorcery high fantasy stuff. Um I hate <laughs> I hate high fantasy now. I am so tired of medieval fantasy. Uh -huh. I really am, you guys. Oh, I kinda figured that. Yeah. So uh here, the the art for this book is really pretty. Right, I really enjoy it. I think yeah. it's really good. But as you guys have said, this is pretty generic high fantasy stuff. Mm -hmm. And 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 I totally agree with Stephen. If you did a uh, search on your word processor and changed all the place names to uh, Baldur's Gate and mm -hmm. you know Waterdeep. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it this would be a Forgotten Realm story, and yeah. the, the, it wouldn't it wouldn't need to not be. There's there's nothing here that you couldn't find in any uh, pretty generic fantasy setting. And I'm honestly kind of tired of generic fantasy settings. I'm you know if if I hadn't had to read this for the show, I may have just <laughs> flipped through it because yeah. I I really do like the art. I think the art is really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it accomplishes it like. What I like about the art is that it's dynamic and the characters yes. still have facial features, but it's not hyper exaggerated or anything like that. Like mm -hmm. every, you know, all proportions yeah. are still, you know, strong humanoid proportions. Right. All the mm -hmm. girls are very pretty. You know, everything's yep. very, very cool to look at, but it doesn't uh, stop the fact that now we're in a dungeon. Now we're in a swamp. Now we're fighting now we're a fighting dragon. Anything. Now yeah. plants are attacking us. I had I had three issues with the art. The primary issue is entirely personal, in that the gray-skinned guy with the horns and the axe was the villain and got his face cut open, because you know I, t I took that personal. <laughs> but secondly, and we talked about this before the show, there's a point where Isabella's armor, costume, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty awesome. And all of the characters have, you know, texture mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and depth. And again, you know, like I said, that it feels like almost kind of like a video game costume. But there's a point where Isabella is sneaking up on a guy by swimming. And I'm like, well, isn't she wearing like a leather corset and these these high pirate boots up to her hips? And she's swimming in this thick leather outfit. And I'm I'm like, she just drowned. That girl is dead. The art doesn't necessarily, as pretty as it is, doesn't necessarily always mesh with what you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, I, by yeah. the way, guys, we you know we were talking about this costume beforehand, and I figured out what it is. If you go to page, let's see, page sixteen, very early on, sixteen, when we first yes. meet um, the, the the guy, guy Callisto, the guy or whatever crows, his name, yeah. 
So <laughs> he is. Claudio. His name is Aaron Claudio. Yes. Um, Kill he is. Audio. He is. Yes, his, he he's a XP. Um, mm. So uh, if you look at his armor, yeah, his red armor. It's the same piece of armor that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. It's just that, unlike her. He's using it the proper way and wearing pants <laughs> underneath it. Like she, literally, she is wearing a leather breastplate yeah, and yeah. nothing else. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's what's weird about her armor. So yes, there I think, seems to be a belt under there. Uh, there's a belt on. There's like a sash. Yeah, yeah she wears on some it kind of a, a sash. lot of the time. Um, probably in the same way that say you know uh, Rogue wears a belt in on in in the X Men. Yeah. I uh, I I really didn't pay as much attention to the uh, outfit as, as Matthew did, except when she did jump in the water, because I kind of th- saw this as cloth, and I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting when she gets out of the water, how they treat that cloth. And then, right. you know, she cut the guy's head off and threw him in the water, and I was pretty much the end of that. Um, yeah. and you so were I'd, expecting the white... Thin yeah, parts yeah, 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 to be a little bit more, more thin. And I was like, well, this will be interesting to see how they deal with that, and then it just moved on, and then I didn't think anything about it. Because, again, you're talking uh, sexy... Sexy assassin, sexy pirate, sexy whatever in a fantasy realm. That's what they dress as. Right. Again, there is nothing outstanding in the story or the uh, character design that makes you go, wow, this is different, except for the the dwarf doesn't have a beard. That was the only thing that was a little weird. Uh, That's, you know, that's, that's kind of how a video game needs to be because you yeah, want yeah, to yeah. Im- you want to imprint your it has own... to be generic enough to where you yeah you're right imprint your right, own yeah. right and and you want for some reason you can play a dwarf you need to leave options open so that mm-hmm. you can have a beard or right. not mm-hmm. have a beard if people don't want to right. and I, and i'm sure listeners you're going to come on and say well that's not what dragon age is about and that's fine i don't care and we're reading cool. this from a from a comic book uh, standpoint and from a the standpoint of never having played dragon age or having seen any dragon age when it comes to something like this a first impression, whether it's an incorrect first impression or not, is going to color the way you feel about the book. Now, the thing that I found kind of problematic and troublesome was when Claudio eventually turns on them, as you knew he would, mm-hmm. there's a little fist fight, and Warwick the dwarf gets off a couple of good shots, and uh, King Alistair. Framistat gets in his shots, and Isabella gets kicked in the face and beaten down. And I'm 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 bothered by that particular thing, not just because it's a sexist thing, but because, you know, Isabella seems to be the rogue. She seems to be a character who shouldn't necessarily be kicker once and she lays in the dirt bleeding. You know, there there are parts of this that I didn't understand in terms of the storytelling that didn't necessarily, you know, when you're in well, that, that, that story, because, didn't necessarily follow from me. Well, but then again, it makes Claudio that much more of a villain, so that when later she cuts off his hand and right. and uh, and slices his throat and stabs him through the kills, through the him. chest, you know, it, it kind of makes that that revenge, that reward, that much more fitting, and and so on and so forth. But yeah, you're right. She I did get kicked that. in the face. Big deal. I can see uh, you know, that. and that that's that is a big deal. And uh, and the 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 climax of the story gave me a, a little bit of a problem, and I think we're going to spoil where it the king kills the witch. Yeah, where you know the the witch who is apparently the sister of a witch that they've had dealings with in the past, who is an evil, sexy, sexy witch, is like I'm an evil, sexy, sexy witch, and he's like, yeah, you are evil, you are bad, but I work 
you. And then he hauls off and stabs her in the gut. Now, yeah. he, he does this from the hip. Yes, with a, with a broadsword. I had a, broad pro sword. a problem with that. There is no too. possible way for him to get a broadsword <laughs> in a stabbing position without taking two steps back, yep. twisting around. Yep. And, and she, she should not have been surprised by this because it would have taken like five minutes and, and the contortionist but from you see, Ocean's there is a There is off. the panel right before he stabs her. You see him pulling out his sword. He draws it from, yeah, he draws yeah. it from his left hip. Okay. And then he pulls it, and we don't see where it is. And then all of a sudden, at the bottom of the panel, yeah. he's pushed it up from up and down yeah, and yeah. the right. So yeah, he yeah. would have I mean, he's standing straight up it's too. It like must be a pretty this. sharp sword to do all that damage. Well, it, yeah, it was. It was. It was obviously uh, like a, a He-Man character. It goes all the way around. Yeah. And what he did was he just wound it up and around, and it came up and chunk. I, I guess I. I don't know. I. Uh, and then, of course, the the first volume ex uh, leads you into going and buying the the next story because they don't get the answers they seek, but they got the answers that they wanted to lead them. Now they into have to the go seek bit. out the two towers and and find the yeah. ents and befriend them. And then Gollum, well, they have to have a Gollum, and he has to somehow you know complicate things. You know, I, I here's my here's my final thought on on this. Well, let's talk about the art. Art, very pretty. Mm -hmm. Very pretty to look at. Very detailed. Um, very nice wonderful. Nice if you, coloring. If you wanted to... Like Over-rendered. Yeah, I, I just thought good the action, art... Good I thought. Good action poses, good facial features on everybody. Not everybody was a cookie-cutter cutout of the other standard human uh, size. So, I, I mean, I, the art was fantastic. But for me, the story... Super generic. Mm. And if you just want your generic fantasy D&D &D realm, pick up mm. this book. Okay. Or if you have, a, if you have, a, you know, a, an actual tie and emotional attachment to these characters from Dragon Age. Oh, yeah. yeah you probably do want to want to see Isabella being awesome and stabbing bad guys and King Alaframistat stabbing people and going, yes, I'm, I'm king. Yeah. No, I, I. Other than that, I mean, uh, there's nothing spectacular about this book. I give it an average rating. If you're into fantasy and you just want another fantasy story, I say thumbs up. Go out and pick it up and buy it. If you're a Dragon Age fan, you probably will get more out of this story than what we got out of this story. So you probably ought to go out and buy it. But for the average person just looking for something to read, if you want to go get something that's easy to get into, sure, pick up this book. But I mean, if you're looking for some deep, meaningful discussion about life, then no, mm, probably ought to seek out some Douglas Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodrigo, Rocks. what about you? You've been awfully mightily quiet. Um, the art is good, but this is—I <laughs> mean, this is this is precisely, exactly <laughs> why I don't like medieval fantasy yeah, anymore. Yeah. I mean, I did a little bit at some point in my life, but it is precisely this stuff that. There's roguish rogues and a king that needs to get back to his throne and you know all these all these plots that are basically stock plots. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so tired of that. I you know uh, without any twists, you know, mm -hmm. without any spin on it other than like the biggest literally the biggest change on a stock fantasy thing is that the dwarf doesn't have a beard yeah, that yeah. is the the ch the thing that has that is most different right. from any other work of fantasy that I've encountered recently so I, I would honestly even though I like the art I would say pass on it I mean this 
Like, you can get this from anywhere. And you can probably get it better just from going back and rereading Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew, over to you for final thoughts. Mm. Mm. It's not a bad book. It's actually one of those things that's troublesome because it's it's well-constructed and it's clear that they put some care into it and some thought. There are characters in it that I'm sure people are like, well, if you only knew Alaric's backstory, you would love this book. But I don't. And they don't necessarily tell me a whole lot about it. I mean, there's a lot of reference to Alaric's backstory, and there's some cryptic hints here and there, and then we stab a girl in the heart. Overall, I would say if you have an attachment to either material or the the genre, definitely check it out. Otherwise, it's probably skippable. Not because it's bad, but because it's it's generally kind of you know generic stock fantasy mm-hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with that it's just not necessarily my bag all right well there you go listeners um something to think about and contemplate and i am very interested in hearing what uh, what your thoughts are of dragon age the silent grove if you've read it or if you're a big dragon age fan and we're totally missing something important in this please head over to Majorspoilers.com, use the link in the show notes, whatever. Get over to the site and share your comments, share your thoughts, share your reactions. We love hearing from people, even when they don't, even when you don't agree with us, uh, about uh, these books. Uh, that's what we're doing. We're opening up a discussion, we're starting it, and then we want you to continue it over at Majorspoilers.com. And, as most people know who listen to the show on a regular basis, after we talk about the trade paperback, that is the end of this issue, and thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. I I have no idea what we're going to be talking about next week. Why? Because it's Comic-Con, and I haven't prepared that far in ahead. And because Omega we the know, Unknown, Volume and because 1. Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, yeah, yeah.
spoiler. Major spoilers. It's copyright 2012.